Hello everyone and welcome to the Bootstrap Founder. Today I'm talking to Laura Elizabeth. She co-hosts the Non-Tech Founders podcast and runs several products as a non-technical founder. We'll talk about outsourcing, building trust and building an audience around your business. Here's Laura. So you're co-hosting the Non-Tech Founders podcast and that is something that I find amazing. Because in our developer-centric indie hackers community, there, I think there are far too few voices for the, the non-technical founders. And I, I'm glad you're doing this, and I, I'm glad you're, you're talking about these topics. Is it hard for a non-technical founder to even like, communicate to technical people? How do you find this? Like, is, has this been something that has been troubling you before that caused you to start this podcast? Sort of yes and no. So... I feel like most people I know in this space are developers and I don't know if that's just luck or if that's just how it is or if there's just more developers who are you know building software products more indie kind of software products so um, and there, there wasn't really many people like me who um, didn't have that technical knowledge that was building something so my friend Nathan I think we became friends because we we're like the only people that we know who aren't developers doing something like this so we thought um presumably there are other people who aren't developers that want to do what we're doing so it would be really good to be able to talk to them but also I feel like it's really helpful to developers because we're not going to be talking about things that typical developer podcasts are going to be talking about we're not going to be focusing on the technology as such and all that kind of stuff so we're going to be talking more about marketing and design and all that kind of stuff so I feel like it could speak to a lot of different people it's really early days with it though so it's hard to know you know I feel like we're still finding our feet with it um, but I'm optimistic <laughs> well, and I think you can be because I listened to the, the podcast a couple episodes and it's really nice. It's actually quite the breath of fresh air in a field where people quite quickly derail into these kind of tech stack conversations where they are oh, JavaScript, Python, whatnot, right? Where you as a listener, if you are technical, it's, it's not even interesting for technical people to listen to <laughs> because it's just, you know, these, these kind of infights between technologists where they have their preferences and they just argue pointlessly uh, about the benefits of a particular technology where all the benefits of this tech are usually in how you apply it to the problem and if it fits, right? So it's, it's, it's these, these weird kind of almost religion-style conversations that people are having. And I found none of these in the Nantec Founders podcast. So I'm really, really glad that you're doing this. Do you um, do you feel this is benefiting you on a business level to have somebody to talk to that is coming from the same background as you are? Yeah, I think so. I think I tend to, um, I'm very solo in what I do. So I, I don't talk to many people, to be honest, day to day. Um, and it's actually been really nice being able to speak to someone every week. So the episodes come out every two weeks, but we talk every week. So we've got a bit of a backlog. Um, about what's going on and what's going on with him, what's going on with me. Um, and I find it's quite motivating because, well, first off, because I get new ideas. So he's given me some ideas of things that I've been noodling around with in my head. Um, but secondly, uh, there's the accountability aspect. So if I show up every single week with the same problem that I'm having over and over again and I haven't fixed it yet, it's uh, a little bit embarrassing. So it kind of pushes me to have a different update because um, yeah. I, you know, I'm thinking about, oh, what am I going to update this week? Well, I actually haven't done anything different. And I'm, then it makes me think, well, why haven't I? Why? What have I actually been doing and um, stuff like that? So I do think it's helpful. Um, it's kind of like a mastermind in a way. Yeah, it's an interesting accountability setup, right? You kind of force yourself to show up and you force yourself to have something to provide. It kind of reminds me of, and that's that's one thing that I see a lot in like solopreneurs, like imitating things that they would do in a bigger team or building structures that are similar to what they would be doing if they were employed. You know, like if you have any, any programming environment, you have these sprint meetings and you have like retrospectives where you look into what you've done, what you're going to be doing. You're going to estimate how long it will take you don't really have that if you're a solopreneur right or in, in any regard if you run your own business you have nobody that will tell you how long this should be taking 
other than yourself. So it's really nice to have somebody to talk to about this. I've I've seen this work for a lot of people. That that is that is really interesting. Do you, um, with Nathan being a non-technical founder as well, do you sometimes? wish there would be more technical insight into your stuff i'm not saying this is, is a bad idea to for one non-tech founder to talk to another non-tech founder but do you get some kind of technical insight from other sources in, into your you know the decision making process that you have to be doing for your business yeah so i'm quite lucky so my husband's a developer um and he has his own software stuff so i if i ever have a question i can go to him but i also have a developer who um obviously builds client portals so my product is a um, it's a wordpress plugin i don't build it myself because i can't so i have a developer who's been with me from the start and she's great i really feel like i just struck gold with her because she um thinks of everything she i go to her if i have any things that i can't figure out and she always has in my opinion the correct answer so i've got those two people um which is quite good and also my audience is very developer heavy so i also teach a design course for developers and i got to know a few people on the course and i know that if i ever really needed some different opinions i could go there i tend not to though because i find if you ask if i ask a developer or multiple developers the same question they're going to give me completely different answers and i'm going to get so confused um, I like to just ask one person uh, a question and just get feedback that way. Because anytime I've like let it out to a few different developers, kind of like what we were talking about earlier, they tend yep. to, there may be a bit of like fighting internally, which is the right way. <laughs> oh no, he's so stupid. This is, should be this way. And um, I, cause I don't know. So I'm like, oh gosh, who do I go with? And um, yeah, it gets a bit overwhelming. So I tend to just take the tech stuff and I just, I don't think about it to be honest because I've and I'm lucky because I can do that because I've got such a good developer um on my team already. That is really cool. Well, I'm 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 really happy for you to have found this person because I I think that is hard. I mean, it's not hard to find a developer and it's probably not even hard to find a good developer, but finding a developer that is good and you can trust that makes decisions like not because they think they're right but but because they understand they're good for you. That that's a pretty lucky yeah situation to be in how did you develop that trust with her because I, I feel that is probably the hardest part for any tech non-tech relationship is to establish this baseline trust how did that work for you yeah so I hired her back when I think five or six years ago when it, client portal was just an idea and I needed um, someone to develop the product and I put some feelers out said what I was looking for I got loads of responses I got prices I got everything um, but she was the first one who connected with me more personally and had said, oh, hey, you know, I've actually been following you for quite a while. Um, I really like this, this and this that you've done. And she, you know, just you could tell that she knew a little bit about me and she wasn't just jumping to like the project and what she would do specifically. And there was just something about that that I thought, OK, that's that's just a bit different. So you always remember the people that are a bit different. And my gut just told me just to go with her. And what I really like about her is that she doesn't jump on new things too quickly. So she doesn't always want to change everything. She's she's somewhat cautious. If if something big is kind of coming, she will um, research it and and only do it with Client Portal if she feels like it's at a point where it's stable enough and it's not going to cause any problems. Um, some developers I know can be a bit quick to um, jump from thing to thing to thing and then they have to backtrack and it's just a bit messy and confusing. That works with me. I think some people might like that, but um, it was just, to be honest, with hiring her, it was honestly a, a bit of luck. Uh, I just trusted my gut and it was right. Um, and it's just been that way ever since. So I feel like it was a little bit of a fluke in that respect. I don't know <laughs> if I could recreate it. Yeah, that, that, it sounds hard to kind of generalize this uh, as advice for people. But where did you find her? Was there was there a particular place you went to? to so look for her? we were both well, we were both in a Slack group for freelancers because before I did Client Portal, I ran a service based business, and um, yeah, we were both in this same Slack group, and I posted the job in there, and um, yeah, I found it through that. So I didn't do any job boards or anything like that. 
Um, if I were to do it again today, I'd probably do a similar thing, to be honest, and just see what networks I'm currently part of and reach out there and see what comes back. I, I had the exact same experience, like from a business owner perspective. Like I was in a, I'm, I'm a software engineer, right? So I was in an Elixir, which is a programming language Slack group somewhere. And when we sold our business, my girlfriend and I, Feedback Panda, the business that we built together and then sold a couple of years ago, we needed to find a replacement for both of our roles. Right? She was the CEO of the business, so she needed to find somebody to take over her responsibilities and she found someone and I needed to find a technical person to take over mine. And I went to my Slack group my Elixir Slack, and there were a couple guys. Well, yeah, it was actually just a couple guys. So we have the, the whole gender imbalance thing there. But, you know, it was just a couple people in the group that were interested because I posted the job there first and we had a conversation with like 10 of them and it, the the one that was the best match ended up to be from that Slack group as well. So what it, what this tells me, your experience now and my experience, um, or I guess your, your experience was prior to mine, but both of them suggest to me that if you want to find the right people to hire you and you want to find the right people to hire, just be in communities where people care about the stuff that they do, right? Yeah, and it sounds a lot exactly. like um, an audience-centric approach to finding clients, customers, or employees. Yeah, because if you're both a member of the same community, you're, you're automatically going to have something in common, whether it's ideologies or whatever that com specific community brings and why you chose it and why you participate in that one over other ones you might not even know the reasons yourself but you know you're just going to naturally prefer some to others so there's already a bit of um, similarities there which you don't get when you um, try place marketplaces like Upwork or something like that yeah that, that's true there's this there's, there's kind of pre-established like lukewarm connection right you may not have chatted much but you know each other. You know that you're both in there. You know you're, you have some sort of alignment to begin with. It's kind of like at a party when you want to talk to somebody and they're standing next to your friend. You have a, you have a prior connection. So that makes it yeah. much easier to just engage each other. Yeah, that, that is so cool. Um, and it, it, it strikes me as something that I always had trouble with that the first thing that you did was to hire somebody. Look for somebody to do work for you that you don't or were not at that point capable of doing yourself. Because in my engineering mindset, I could do everything. That's kind of what we've been taught in, in school and, and, you know, university and stuff, or even just in, on the job that we were doing, or that I was doing when I, when I started in the, in the industry as a coder. You can learn everything. Just try to do everything. That is not the same for a non-technical founder, I would assume. So <laughs> did you make that choice, like, initially from the beginning that you would hire as soon as possible? Or did you dabble? in, I, I don't know, no code or trying to do some stuff for yourself to set up the thing that you wanted to build? Yeah, so back then, I don't I don't know if no code was really much of a thing. So I, it, <laughs> right. it was, I feel like it's fairly new. So that wasn't an option. But I think even if it was, oh, well, I don't know. To be honest, I think if I could have maybe got something together myself, I probably would have done it that way as well with the same mentality well if I can do it I should do it I get to learn about it it's my product no one else will understand it the way I do and all that kind of stuff um, in the same way I I'm a designer by trade and I don't hire designers because I can do it myself maybe I should hire designers <laughs> yeah, <right>? but <laughs> it would be really hard it would be so difficult because I would want it done this way and if a designer does it slightly differently I'd think well why are you doing it that way? That's clearly wrong. I'm clearly right. Um, so <laughs> I I would have not hired if I could have done this myself. But I'm so, looking back, I'm so glad I did. Or I'm so glad I had to because I think for a non-technical founder, it's a lot harder to get started because you need you need a bit of investment, whether it's, you know, something like Tiny Seed or whether you um, do what I did, which is I pre-sold the product, kind of like a Kickstarter type thing. Um and you need and you have the risk of having to pay someone to build it which is kind of scary but once you've once you've done that and once you've got some traction and once it's going it's really nice not having to worry about the development of the product and not have to worry about support tickets and bugs and all that kind of stuff because that that i think would be the problem for me if if i could have cobbled something together myself when someone had a problem i wouldn't know how to help them and it's really nice i can I can go away and do, you know, my marketing stuff, my design stuff or whatever else I'm doing. And I know that the product is being constantly worked on 
Um, and anyone who has a support ticket, I know that it's going to be taken care of and I don't have to think about it. And I don't think I'd have been able to um, build Client Portal to where it is now if I was doing all of that myself because there's just not enough hours in the day. And the other thing is I would be add I would have added so many more features than it, it has right now, which <laughs> yeah. isn't a good thing. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, that's a problem. <laughs> yeah. I'd have been there's so many things that I'm tempted to do and I'm like, well I can't, so I don't and that's actually a blessing in disguise. Yeah, that that is so nice that you have the separation of concerns, like even separation of capacity and capability. That that is that is super helpful. I think that is the the bane of all indie hackers is their capacity to do everything kind of well enough. <laughs> There's no limitation yeah. really, and no code probably makes this even worse for people who oh let's just slap this Zapier integration in there as well, and then it becomes this convoluted mess of uh, a Frankenstein kind of product. Yeah, interesting that that your um, lack of immediate capacity to do it kept the product straightforward and, and specific. Have you since, um, since you started this whole thing, have you developed an interest in being able to do this or are you perfectly fine with somebody else doing this for you forever? I am perfectly fine with somebody else doing it. I think, <laughs> I, so cool. I honestly think it's the, it's just the best thing for me because I, I need to focus on the marketing side more than anything and talking to customers. I do have someone who handles my support, but I keep an eye on the inbox and uh, just so I know like what people are thinking and all that kind of stuff. And that is that is a full time job in itself. You know, it's it's a lot of work. And um, yeah, I don't at one point I did think, gosh, and sometimes I still do. I get these moments where I think you know, I might think of like a new idea of something that might be really cool to build. And it kind of sucks that I can't just do it just to throw it out there and see if something sticks. Um, that would be a really nice superpower to have. If I could keep this knowledge that, okay, once you've just built the MVP and you've seen if it's going to, and you've got an idea whether it's going to grow, then get rid of doing the development of it and get rid of doing the support as quickly as possible. Um, if I could do that, then I would say, yes, I would like the superpower of being a developer. Um, I don't trust myself, though, because I think I just want to keep doing it all myself. Yeah, it's it's quite alluring. It, it is really a superpower, I feel. It, it kind of, to me, being able to do everything is both awesome and frightening. Like, both definitions of the word awesome, right? That is, is the, yeah. the good and the bad kind. Because if you are able of doing it, you kind of have to. Like it doesn't it doesn't make fiscal sense to outsource this to somebody else if it just takes an hour of your time, right? It's just like a, that's that's a problem. Very interesting. I'm I'm yeah super impressed by the fact that you can't stay like this. You can say nope, that's not for me. I'm a designer. I do these things well. I don't need to do everything because I'm certainly not the same way. And I always had trouble delegating work to somebody else that I could either do myself or could learn how to do myself or thought I could learn, you know, how do you yep. deal with this? Because you were just saying you wouldn't hire a designer. And I find this very relatable because that's how I felt for the longest time in terms of hiring a developer. Do you struggle with this right now? Are you at a point where you should be hiring somebody else, but are not? Yeah. So I, what I've, I've sort of had a little bit of a middle ground with this. Um, and I've, I've been using one of those unlimited design services. Um, and I think the one I use is ManyPixels. And basically what they do is they get, so I give them, if I need something, I give them the content and what I need and they've got all my brand assets there and they pull together something. And it's never honestly that polished. Like it's not, I wouldn't really put it out there uh, without me doing it. But I then take that and I tweak it and I, make it more polished um, and that's sort of working quite well for me because it just takes a bit of the time away from me designing it just gets me it gets the blank canvas thing out of the way um, and I can tweak it I can polish it and do all that but that said I do wonder if it makes sense for me to even be doing that <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know I just I can't imagine I I can't imagine hiring a designer. I think it would be really hard to do. And I, I love designing as well, which is probably like you. You love doing all the different things that you do. It's not like it's a slog. It's enjoyable. 
And I, I love it when I get a day where I can just design. It's really nice. I've recently redone the client portal website and um, I get so much joy every time I look at it now because I'm like, I did that and I'm really proud of it. And it looks really good and it took a really long time and <laughs> yeah. I don't know how I'd feel if someone else did it. But yeah, I don't know. It's a difficult question because I don't know the answer to it. Oh, I wish I knew the answer or anybody knew the answer to this. But I think it's really just a, a matter of like either experimenting with like delegating parts of it or exper experimenting with different modes of it. Because I very much relate to this. Like For this podcast in particular, I still do all the editing myself. I do all the captioning myself if there is stuff to caption, all the kind of you know, the work on, on the, the administrative stuff. And as much as it's kind of boring to do these things, I still find a lot of enjoyment in this because you start with just a video and you end up with a polished or somewhat polished video and you know an accessibility angle to it where people can read it so they don't have to listen and all of these things that's wonderful and i love doing this and i have such a hard time giving this to somebody else because even i, I tried this a couple times before i gave this stuff to somebody else and there were mistakes in there mistakes that i wouldn't make and i think you can relate to this as a designer right you see ah that white space over there <laughs> That's just a little bit off, right? This is just a couple pixels or whatever it might be, but you see it, you feel it because you know what yeah. it should be like. And delegating with margin for error seems so hard. Like, do you feel the same way? Yeah, I think the hard part is is you want to you want to hire someone who's going to treat the podcast like it's their own podcast, like it's their face and their voice on it, and they're the ones that are promoting it. So if they were doing it for themselves, then they maybe wouldn't make those mistakes because they're doing it for someone else they're like oh that's good enough they might not notice or something like that so when you're doing it yourself you like you put so much more care and time and all this stuff into it and I think that's what makes the biggest difference because it's so frustrating when you do hire something out and you get it back and you then have to go through and say can you change this or can you change that can you change that I've noticed this I've noticed that and you're frustrated because you think how have you not noticed it you surely must have um and i think yeah i think that's really hard it's sort of like we had um someone come around we wanted to get some shelves in our living room um mm -hmm. made and we had a carpenter come around and have a look and he was asking us you know what do you want do you want this uh, or well just basically saying what do you want and we were saying we weren't really sure because we were like um you know would this type of shelf look good would it should it be a floating shelf should it not be and he was like whatever you want just do what you want what do you want and we said well if it was your house, what would you do? Like, you're the professional. You see this all the time. You should know everything about shelves and t advise me on what kind of shelves, due to looking at our space and what we've said we wanted, what should we do? Yeah. But he wouldn't do that. And I find that with um, other people you hire as well. You want, you want them to know everything about editing a podcast and be able to do all those things that, you know, you would do yourself, yeah. but that's the difficult part and so you can find those people like I think my developer is that person um, I have a support person now who I've gone through loads of support people and the one I have now is super is just really thorough way more thorough than actually I was and I'm so happy with it so I think it's worth persevering with delegating because mm -hmm. it really is important because you you can only get so far doing everything yourself um, and you never know what unexpected things might crop up in your life. So you might get sick, for example. You might want to go on holiday. You might get burnt out. Anything could happen. And you want to know that's not the time that you want to be hiring. So you want to know that you've got enough in place that if any of those things should happen, it, everything will be okay. So I do think it's worth persevering with if possible. But it's it's hard. It's the hardest thing I've done. Do you have any kind of standard operating procedures, some kind of internal documentation that makes this kind of process easier when, like, once you have something to delegate to people? Sort of. I, um, I've, tried, I've tried being super, like documenting everything. And sometimes that backfires on me because if, you, if you're really thorough with your documentation, then sometimes the people you hire will follow that to a T, but they won't think for themselves at any point because they're so used to getting everything laid out for them and so then if something crops up that is slightly out of what was written they'll just say 
ask you and you'll have to you know write more documentation or something like that so it can I found if you're too thorough with that it can backfire um so I what I try to do now is I try to get the person I delegate to to create their own documentation for them so I'll give them I'll say you know you can use Trello or a Google Doc or whatever you want but I have to also be able to see it um and just put this in whatever format works for you and that's part of their job um I'll also do things to help you know like I'm I'm really good with my email I do a lot of saved replies um so I use help scout and you can just have the little templated replies for a lot of the common questions um I I write things down a lot I take notes it's nothing fancy honestly it's like a google spreadsheet um and it looks hideous it's horrible but you can find things in it um and that's another thing that I do to help but yeah I'm not overly processed with it at this point yeah I guess that's also something you need to establish and I've been like in in our software as a service business we established that at some point because we were just two people my girlfriend and I running the thing we had a couple outside people doing content for the blog and stuff but we had we had nobody inside the business we had no customer service people like that was us and for at the end was probably like 5,000 customers at the same time before we sold. That was a lot of work. Let me take a second to tell you about the sponsor of the show. MicroAcquire is a free startup acquisition marketplace that connects founders with serious buyers to help get their online businesses sold quickly and easily. MicroAcquire has been sponsoring my podcast since the beginning, and I'm excited to share their plans to help more bootstrap founders succeed. Starting in 2023, they're rebranding to acquire.com to show the world that they can help startups of any size get acquired. Their mission is the same, to help founders achieve life-changing outcomes and continue building game-changing tools that make acquisitions easy for all. With over 35,000 messages sent between buyers and sellers in any given month, hey, if you're thinking about testing the acquisition waters, now is the time to join acquire.com. So we, we had to establish this internal process, which then surprisingly, but also in a very good way, made selling the business way easier because everything was already in place. Um, do, do you, and that's kind of what I, what I wonder, like, do you intend to establish this over time or are you just going, are you just going to go with what works for people, whatever they need? Yeah. I mean, we, I definitely have more in place now than I did before. And I, I would honestly love to get to the stage where I had something in place so if I hired someone I I could onboard them really well and they could have everything they need um I yeah I would absolutely love that I I don't feel like I'm very close to having that in all honesty um but I sort of get by whether I will or not I don't know because I um I quite like being a small business I don't have many plans to grow too big um, so these people that I'm talking about that I hired, they're not actually my employees. They're all contractors, um, which is the way I I prefer it personally. Um, yeah, so I don't know. I might just keep it as it is. And because the problem is, is sometimes when I've gone in and I've maybe used a new tool or something, I've spent so much time and it's not actually been worth it. And I still go back to just the really basic stuff that works, but isn't pretty and it works for me, but... I just had this thought too, like when you were talking about your hideous Google spreadsheet, it's like my thought was, oh, there's probably a software as a service business out there doing exactly this for you. But then I was like, ah, oh, come on. Like, <laughs> are you going to integrate yeah. yet another solution into an existing workflow? Like, are you, is, is that that important to you? Apparently not. So at least not at this point. That's, that's the thing. And I li like what you were saying because of the, um, it's kind of spicy if you think about it, the whole, I want to keep it small. That's why I don't put a lot of structure into it. That's how I hear it. It's not what you necessarily yeah. said, right? But it's kind of the the underlying, the, the undercurrent of this of this, uh, this this phrase that you just said. And I I wonder, do you think this might be a self limiting thought here? That small means unorganized. Yeah, quite possibly. It's probably an excuse <laughs> to be honest, more than anything. Um, but yeah, I I don't know. There it is. I've I uh, I do struggle with time at the moment and so I have um I have like way too many things going on I think we were talking about it um on Twitter earlier but yeah too much things going on and I actually 
I actually love being organized usually. Um, I'm usually quite an organized person, like in my personal life. And um, well, actually compared to some people, I am super organized. But yeah, it, it, I think it probably is a bit self-limiting. Um, there's no reason I couldn't be a small business that just runs things really smoothly. And I think, to be honest, if I ever wanted to get to the stage, which I do, where I would be doing even less in my business and delegating more, I think I do need to have some more processes and some more just well-maintained documentation in place. When yeah, that'll happen, you and me though, both. I'm not sure. That that I feel the exact same way. Like because I, I I didn't want to put you on the spot. It's it's more more or less. Uh, I feel the same way, and I had these thoughts, and I just wanted to share them with you because it's. I feel that I'm limiting myself as well because I also want a lifestyle business, right? And lifestyle doesn't necessarily mean unorganized. Lifestyle just means the way I want it. And if I want it small yet well organized, that is also a lifestyle business. And I think that would be perfectly fine, right? It's just kind of how we phrase things, how we talk about things is how they end up being in reality. So yeah, I just wanted to share my own reservations. It's uh, it's comforting to know that I'm not the only one having these kind of issues, to be honest. <laughs> Definitely not. And it always feels like you are the only one. It seems like everyone else yeah. is way more put together. But then I hear people talk to me and they say, gosh, you're so... You're so organized. How do you manage it? And I'm thinking, oh, I don't know. <laughs> what? <laughs> Spend a day with me. You'll see. Yeah. <laughs> but okay. I, I, think, I think this is becoming more and more obvious as uh, people are building in public and sharing their journeys. Because you can see kind of that there are cracks in the veneer of everything is going great, which there should be. There should not be this veneer, right? There shouldn't be just to surface anyway. But um, it, it's nice to see that more and more people choose to be more vulnerable and showing mistakes that they make and the fact that they are to a certain degree not optimally running their business it's just reality for everyone everyone out there which is why it's kind of why i'm putting this in the, into this conversation so much because i feel if people notice that oh yeah everyone is struggling then their struggle becomes less of a you know aimless wandering and more of okay this is apparently how it is fine let's just keep doing what we're doing right let's just keep going let's just keep trying to find a solution to this even if it's a an ugly google spreadsheet or just a, a notion document that you kind of share back and forth and people edit and, and comment if that's enough for you at this point then that's that's perfectly fine right like you seem to be running a business that is doing well enough and mine is doing good too so it can't be that bad it's kind of how i feel yeah. it's just it's just balances the, the perception out there yeah and i do speak to a lot of people actually who um who are trying to start their own businesses and sometimes being super organized and polished I would say is their fallback um, because they're putting everything they're putting everything together in their business as if they're running a a much bigger company than they are um, when bear in mind they haven't started yet so you know all these things you're you don't you're not in a big software company you don't need to do the like we were talking about the stand-up meetings and all the things that people in those companies do but they're documenting it as as if they are and it I can see their thought process in the sense that well it's good to do it as you go um because when you need it it's going to be there which I think is definitely very true but I think you can take it a little bit too far because as well when you start to when your business starts to grow um, your processes will just naturally change because you'll realize that you had it wrong or you need to do this. You, Your ticketing system is in this software and that doesn't work for you because of X, Y, Z. So you need to move it to something that will work for you that you could never have known beforehand. So I think when you start out, if you can uh, be like as nimble as possible and open to change and maybe move a little bit faster, but then just try to somehow, don't know how, just document the things that are not going to change and I think that's easier said than done I'm making it sound really easy but it's not but I do see a lot of people get stuck trying to perfect their processes before they move forward yeah it's some kind of procrastination right, at this point too yeah because you're just like you're building process but you're not building <laughs> so yeah. a little bit of a problem there I've, I find um, one approach that I've found work for me is to think of the, the process of how I deal with process as a process in itself like how how oh am gosh. I going to approach documentation, right? Like, am I am I going to document everything, or is just a couple of bullet points and a link enough for now? 
And over time, with more people involved, well, it's not enough anymore. So I have to change my meta process, and that trickles down into the rest of all the documentation that you have. As you start like making things more approachable for people who you need to onboard, or for for other people who you give, give little tiny tasks that give them the opportunity to have a step by step for their specific task. But the general thing is still nebulous because it's more for me than for them. Like you change your process of how you deal with process over time. Again, sounds easy, but change, what does that mean, right? Like, what is changing a process? So in the end, it's a very unique thing, very specific to your unique situation that you're in. So, yeah, I guess I don't have advice here either. Um, it's just I like your nimble first approach because it just means you have more time to spend on actually doing the experiments that lead to more business success down the line instead of just yeah. you know, wasting it documenting. Yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a difficult balance for sure. Like anything in business, right? The, the the fact that you don't know the outcome before you see the outcome with everything you do, that kind of makes it hard. And and that's, I, I think, why people retract into this, let's do the documentation first, because that's something tangible. You know that in the end, you're going to end up with documentation and you end up with really nice looking stuff. So you don't have to face the uncertainty of doing things that you're not sure if they're going to work or not. And I think that for me, and uh, I, I don't want to like steal anything away from you here, but for me, that's why I don't hire because I don't know. I, I'm so afraid that there might be a mistake somewhere in me hiring a person that I'm not even going to try and see if there might not be a mistake down the line. That I think that's uh, it's kind of why I'm so reluctant here. Yeah, that is really tough. It's it's just it's it's the hardest thing because you have to. You have to, like you said about you changing the process, but you have to, you have to time it right. You have to change it before you need to change it, if that makes any yeah. sense. So yeah. if you, if you are at the point where you've hired someone, but you don't have the things in place to hire them, which I've done before, I've hired someone when I've been desperate and I didn't have the processes in place. And I thought, well, I'm going to do the processes now that I've hired them, I'm going to start them. And it didn't work. It was it was probably my worst hire that I've ever had because I hadn't done it before. So I needed to have done it just a little bit earlier, um, but not too early because if I did it too early, then half the things would have changed and, and I'd have been redoing it. So it's just, yeah, it's definitely the hardest thing. And I think especially if you're solo, it's even harder because you've got no one to bounce those ideas off and you've got no one to give you different advice and you know we were talking earlier about having the the mastermind which is actually a podcast um but just having someone to talk to about these things i think is really helpful because they can maybe advise you okay i think you're not hiring because xyz and i think you should do this because reason and then yeah it kind of gives you that extra push that you need I think it's, like I said, a great accountability tool. And I, I think the wonderful thing about a podcast is that you are doing this in front of other people. Right? So if the potential, not just to have somebody be your sounding board for ideas or your mirror if you need them to be, or you know the feedback generator that, that you need at that point to get motivation to do something, but you're also building an audience at the same time. And you're building an audience from a place of authenticity and genuine vulnerability because everything you talk about where you're not sure gives people insight into your your decision-making process and how you approach not just winning but how you approach building right how you approach experimenting and that that i feel makes build such connection with people and you've been audience an audience builder for a while right it's, it's not the first time you you dabble in and creating a bigger audience around yourself so let's kind of talk about that because i think audience building is on everybody's mind right everybody and their dog is building an audience at that point almost quite literally if you if you go to instagram so how how has the has that been a choice that you consciously made when you went into the non-tech founders podcast with nathan to build an audience around that that particular aspect of yours so for me, it wasn't so much. I think for Nathan, it was more because he's starting more from scratch. So he went away for a while and now he's building his audience again. I feel like I have a, an audience that I'm you know, pretty okay with. It's growing steadily. Um, for me, the reason that I'm doing it is a, a lot of it, honestly, for fun, because I've always wanted to do a podcast and to see where it takes us. If the audience growth happens, which I hope it does, that can only be a benefit. 
Um, but yeah, I basically started it more just to, um, just to, just cause I, I wanted to, and it seemed like a good idea, but yeah, audience building is something that, um, I, that's how I got my start really, because I was a freelancer before and, but I, I didn't really like freelancing that much because I didn't like the time exchanging time for money kind of thing. I, I didn't really feel like I had a lifestyle business, which is what I wanted. And I was looking at people with products and courses and all that stuff. And I thought that looks more like what I want to do, but I didn't have anything to sell. Um, and I, I always knew that if I, even if I did have something to sell, who would I sell it to? So to me, building an audience first was the more logical step. Um, and you get people who disagree with that. Some people agree with it, say audience first, absolutely. Some people say product first, absolutely. I think you can do kind of either. If you've got a great product idea or a great product or something to sell, definitely start with that and build your audience. If you don't, um, I don't think there's any harm in building your audience first. The way I chose my audience was pretty um, simple. It was, I mostly worked with developers and I felt like I could talk to them quite well. I enjoyed talking to them and I had lots of developers around me and I knew what struggles they had. So I knew that it was going to be around that. So I just went on lots of different podcasts that were targeting developers. I did guest posts, um, mostly about design because that's what I knew about. And it was more like just to see where it would take me while I was doing my freelancing on the side. And that was really valuable because I could, I never, I never really asked people what they wanted because I don't necessarily think that's the right way to go about things and also it's not their job to tell me what they want it's my job to figure out what they could need um but I'd always like really analyze the things that they were saying to me and try to figure out where I could help um and then I started doing a design course for developers um and client portal ended up being this thing on the side that just came out of nowhere that I'd made for myself that um my audience I, I sort of shared it with my audience without any intention to sell it and they were like oh wait this is this is exactly what I need and I thought oh wow okay that was a bit of a stroke of luck but if I hadn't had that audience already I wouldn't have I wouldn't have known that and I wouldn't have ended up selling client portals so all these things kind of happen and it seems like a lot of luck involved and I always think that wow I got really lucky with this and I say it all the time oh I got really lucky with that um but I was doing things to increase the likelihood of that look happening so I was always focused on building an audience and if I were to go back I think I would do the same again um and just try to build an audience as soon as possible very much agreed. And I love that you bring up this opportunity surface, that the concept of like providing the fertile ground for luck to strike, that is something you can work on, right? You, you can't work on where the luck is going to strike or when it's going to strike, but you can open up the opportunities by just being present, by b building relationships, building connection. And that is what audience building is about. So I, I love that. I love the fact that you kind of phrase it that way, because I was just going to ask you, because you mentioned luck a couple of times. That was exactly what I was going to go for. Do you think you're making your own luck or you're providing uh, a way for it to... Uh, to strike but that is what you just what you do by building an audience and i want to talk to you about guest posting because that is something that i've never done before because i've always had my own blog and i just posted there but i i wonder would you still do this today if you were to build an audience would you still go into guest posting or yeah would, would you do that i think so i so i don't know I would definitely do it to try it. I don't know how blogs have changed because this was quite a long, well, it seems like quite a long time ago that I was doing guest posting. And I know I myself subscribed to a lot more blogs than I do now. Um, I would definitely do it again. And, and the reason is I think guest posting actually was the thing that accelerated um, what I do now the most. Uh, because what I did was I had my own blog and I'd write articles for it. And I wrote an article that I thought, oh, wow, this is really good. <laughs> Humble as always. And I thought, I don't want to just put this on my blog because I don't really have much of an audience. Like, this is such a good article. This needs to go elsewhere. So I 
I went to my favorite blog, which I, this is the blog that I always wanted to be published on, which was Smashing Magazine at the time. And I just Googled Smashing Magazine right for us to see if they even accepted guest posts. They did. Um, and I submitted it to them and I just forgot about it. And I thought, well, if they take it, amazing. If they don't, I'll just publish it on my own and maybe I can just get some traction myself uh, manually. And they ended up really liking it and they published it and it ended up being their number one read article for like a year, a really, really long time. Like I had so many screenshots, I kept going back. It's not there anymore, this was years ago. Um, but then from that, I then ended up speaking at different conferences. So like Smashing Conference, I did a different guest post elsewhere on a website called SitePoint. And they, and I got picked up from there, they liked my article to speak at a conference in London. And then other conferences then picked me up from that. And it was, it, it just sort of spiraled. And guest posting out of everything that I did was the thing that launched it much faster than anything else. So I would definitely do it again. Um, but again, I don't know how much it's changed. So it would be more of an experiment than anything. Well, I know that Smashing Magazine is still around. Not so sure about SitePoint, but <laughs> you know, like <laughs> that that definitely is still there. Um I always I read that like when I probably when I started coding, I was very interested in the, the front end design uh phase of it as well. So that I was a regular reader of that too, because they also had a great design on their own website, which was very indicative of their capacity to provide me with adequate design uh information. So I'm I'm yeah. I'm impressed that you got there and that you got such good results. The one thing that I'm impressed most with here is that you overcame your inner demon to actually submit it. I think that's the hardest part. Like writing a great post is already hard, but then thinking that it is great and being humble you know, like you are and then still submitting it to somebody else. That I feel that is the hardest part at all. What, can you uh, take me to your internal monologue or your internal dialogue, I guess, and how you convinced yourself to actually submit it? Um, the way I managed to do this, and I've done it for other things that I felt like I am not good enough to do, um, is I don't tell anyone that I'm doing it. And that makes me feel better because I'm like, if this doesn't happen, then nobody's then gonna ask me, oh, hey, that thing that you were really excited about that you submitted, did you get it? And I, because that's the worst part for me is having to say no and then feel a bit embarrassed. So I would submit it, but I didn't tell anyone. And then I've done it other times at conferences that I particularly wanted to sp uh, speak at, and I don't tell anyone. And that just makes me feel better because it's like, well, if it doesn't go the way I want, then I'm the only one who knows. Um, but if you don't do it, then you'd never know. Like it's worth a try. And to be honest, I tend to, um, I tend to do it on more of a whim. It tends to be like in the evening for some reason. And I just think, just do it. And then I just do it really quickly and then it's done. And I forget about it, honestly. And I, I really do forget that I did it. Um, and that's that's definitely helped me. That's cool. I, the, the fact that you know when in the day you're going to have this energy level <laughs> that you can actually do it. That's just that's just being really smart about yourself, like knowing your body, knowing your your physical state. I think we could all benefit from having a bit more introspection, understanding how we work and then leverage, leveraging that to, to get results like that, right? To overcome our inhibitions, like silence the imposter syndrome for a minute just to hit submit. I think that's yeah. um, that level of just reflection, that, that is something you need to work on. That's a muscle almost uh, that you need to train. I, I think this is cool. I think this is uh, as much as it's antithetical to my build-in public approach to everything, not talking about it until you get a result, perfectly fine. You know, if that works for you, if that allows you to do the thing that you need to do to to make progress, absolutely okay. That that is cool. Um, yeah. Would you? Uh, are you building your audience in different ways beyond uh, the podcast at this point, and beyond the, the guest posts that you probably still benefit from a little bit, right? Like, there's probably still some traffic coming in from these older things. Yeah. So it's changed a little bit now in that the with client portals my main thing that i do and um my audience comes mostly just straight from go uh, google organic search um and it's because people are searching for specifically for a client portal for wordpress and that's 
another stroke of luck that I had is I named it Client Portal, which was super sure. lucky because apparently That's people were searching name. for that. Yeah, and there wasn't a lot of competition. There's more competition now, but I sort of Wait, got there first. Which was not intentional. There was not no. an intentional choice. No, it was just I. I had to sell it. You know, when when I said earlier that I had this, I I mentioned this product and people said they wanted to buy it. I sort of jumped on that really quickly. And I didn't have time to think about a name. And I think if I had had time to think about a name, I would have named it something really cool, but like not <laughs> useful at all. I don't know, like it would be some four letter name that the domain would be really expensive. Um, but I was like, oh, it's like a, it's a portal for your clients. It's client portal. And that's just how the name came about. And that ended up being like a really good, um, a really good name for it. And, you know, I always, I I feel like my gut instinct can, and I think everyone's as well, not just mine, but I think your gut instinct, if you listen to it and if you're in tune to it, it's it's right a lot of the time if you don't overthink things. I think any time I've overthought anything, um, it's probably not completely true, but a lot of the time when I overthink, it ends up not being as good as I would have thought. Um, so yeah, that was really fortunate that I named it um, Client Portal. But yeah, so most of my traffic now comes straight from google search and i'm actually at this point i'm having to pivot a little bit because i was originally targeting freelancers and agencies but because it's not necessarily freelancers and agencies that are finding client portal it's you know law firms and um, accountants and marine biologists and furniture salesmen like all these different things i'm i'm in a little bit of a tricky stage now where i don't I feel like I'm pivoting, but I don't exactly know what I'm going to do next to continue to build my audience or even who my audience is anymore because my audience is now so many different people. Um, so that's the struggle I have. I think I still focus on freelancers, agencies, um, and I still try to write. I still go on podcasts. I still do all that stuff that's historically worked for me um, because I enjoy talking to those people um, and I feel like I can help them. I'm not sure how much I could help a law firm, to be honest, maybe a little bit with the project management side, but um, I've got experience in these other areas, so I feel like I can be helpful there. And I just I just sort of try to stay on the radar somewhere um, just because I enjoy it and I think that I should be. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting time at the minute, actually, for the audience building. It's super interesting. Like you have lawyers on the one side and marine biologists on the other one. So you have the coolest people and the least cool people. <laughs> no, no, I know. no shame. But, <laughs> but that does it reflect on the actual product as well? Like, do you see this being problematic that you have so many very divergent audiences that might need different things from one product that you offer? Yeah, so it is difficult because a lot of the terminology that I use is for is speaking to freelancers and agencies and it makes things difficult. Like if I have certain lead magnets, for example, to get people on my email list, they're targeting freelancers and agencies and it's difficult to find something that could speak to everyone in the same way. So I'm sort of picking my top, the biggest five different industries that I've got and I'm going to be trying to create different um different uh like email courses and different lead magnets and all this stuff case studies for those different five um and i think the five that i've chosen are varied enough are different enough that other people outside of those industries could still benefit it's going to take a lot of time though to get all that set up because it's um even just doing one industry is quite a lot of work um, but that's my plan at the minute and then using website personalization to try to infer who they are and try to push them more down the route that I think they would be more most they would most benefit from yeah I guess you have an expert for website personalization somewhere pretty close to you right yeah I should everyone says though I should be much better at it than I am because <laughs> I had people um <laughs> I've had people like look at my website not my new website but my old website and they're like you know who you're married to, right? Like, why aren't you doing this? This is like the number one thing you should be doing. But yeah, it's uh, kind of embarrassing how far behind I am with that. But that is my plan. And I'm very lucky that I have like a consultant on tap for that. Yes. 
Yeah, that, that, I think it's a great approach. I, and um, that's I, I remember this from my, my own journey with, with Feedback Panda. We kind of looked into it, but we decided against it because the market we were in was just exploding size-wise. So we didn't need to look into alternative niches. But we had a couple on our, on our radar, and we thought, oh, we would have to do all these things, like build funnels for these specific people that are in a completely different medium than our online teachers that we were serving with our product, right? If you, like nurses need documentation too, and Feedback Panda was a documentation tool, but nurses don't necessarily hang out in the closed community that our teachers hang out in, right? We would have to go to Facebook or Instagram and whatnot and develop whole new distribution channels or funnels for this. I, I don't envy you the work that is ahead of you, but I... I think it's awesome that you have understood where your potential customer segments are and that you're going after them. Like each of each of them with a specific approach. I think that is that is the way to to funnel them to a product. There is no way that you can have one message that fits everybody. It's quite the opposite of what personalization is about, right? Like to think that you have this gener- generic way of reaching people. So yeah, I really really like this. Um as an as an audience building move. That is a professional audience around your business though. For your personal audience, like for you as a person, are you going to keep building that out as well in public or is it just business audience for you? Yeah, so I think I I think that's where I would be growing my audience really is I I want to I do want to have a bit more of a personal brand. I just don't know because I have so many different things going on and people know me from different places. Uh, it's all a little bit it's all a little bit everywhere so I'm not exactly sure at this point who I really want to target for my own personal brand I think it tends to be freelancers agencies and still honestly mostly developers to be honest Um, but again there's just so many different people it's this is more difficult for me in a way because I don't want to leave anyone out but like you said you end up diluting the message if you talk to too many people at the same time and then splitting things out is so much work like it's just and if you do it if you don't do it right you might as well have not done it at all I think so um yeah my personal brand that is a little bit more tricky and I'm I'm not focused too much on it to be honest other than doing the things that I'm already doing you know like just staying trying to connect with people I'm staying hopefully trying to stay relevant and that kind of thing and I'm I guess I'm kind of waiting for something to make sense I I feel like it will I feel like there'll be some kind of answer as to what I do at some point um but yeah right now I'm just kind of I'm just enjoying it and yeah I've got that I think yeah freelancers agencies developers is sort of my niche I would say for my personal brand I think it's a fun niche where a lot of interesting things intersect right like you as a as a founder, as a non-tech founder too, like playing playing that angle as well. It's just everybody wants to have success doing the things that they do well. And I think you're a person that shows that, that with perseverance and setting up things that work for you, you can get there over time. And hey, even if you don't know right now what it is, I'm going to be following you along that journey to see where you'll end up. And I think this is a great opportunity to... Just ask you, where can everybody else, people who are listening to this podcast, follow you along that journey? Where would you like them to connect with you? Yeah, so I think the best place is probably Twitter. So that's where I spend most of my time online um, when I'm not working. Um, So you can find me at Laurium, which is L-A-U-R-I-U-M. Um, and if you want to check out the non-tech founders podcast, we're still early days, but we've, we're just about to record a bunch of new episodes. Um, you can find it. It's the non-tech founders podcast.com. I think I feel like I should know that URL, but I don't. Um, and yeah, I'm really excited about that because, um, actually just to go back on my whole audience thing, the other new set of people that I'm really enjoying talking to are people who want to do something similar to what I've I, I do which is maybe go from services to products or like build a product business um, I really enjoy talking about that things like audience building and seeing what people are up to and that kind of thing so um, yeah you can check out the podcast there but yeah just say hi on Twitter um, I'm pretty pretty personable I recommend both following you on Twitter and uh, subscribing to the podcast because I do both and it's been 
quite an interesting journey. Like your podcast is amazing. It's in my my rotation already, like my dog walking rotation where I take the puppy out and I listen to people talk about their problems. Uh, it's always interesting. So that is a great podcast. I hope that you get a lot of subscribers over the next couple months and years, hopefully for a long, long time. Thank you. So yeah, thank you so much for sharing everything you shared today, sharing your journey, sharing your insights. That was uh, really nice. And I wish you the very best. Thanks so much. Course. Thank you so much. And that's it for today. Thank you for listening to the Bootstrap Founder. You can find me on Twitter at Arvid Kahl, A R V I D K A H L, and you'll find my books and my Twitter course there as well. If you want to support me and the show, please subscribe to my YouTube channel, get the podcast in your podcast player of choice, and leave a rating and a review by going to ratethispodcast.com/slash founder. Any of this will help the show. So thank you very much for listening. Have a wonderful day. Bye-bye.